0: My job is to make sure that any child between the age of 4 and 13 loves jiu-jitsu until they turn 16. Okay, so if I'm too hard on them and they hate it and they don't like it, they leave. My job is to make sure that I teach them jiu-jitsu, but I make sure they have enough fun that they want to stay in jiu-jitsu until they're 16. When they're 16, they get graded as an adult. They start learning as an adult. It's a little bit different. They get to make their own choices. But if I can make them enjoy it, that much that they stay from the age of four till 16 then i've now got a long-term member i've got a kid that's done jiu-jitsu for 12 years that's now going to get a blue belt and go on to be a great adult addition to my gym ladies and gentlemen
1: hi everybody good
0: evening are you ready keep this frequency clear i know you're gonna dig this oh yeah okay here we go Check, check it out
1: This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. G'day, George Ferrier. Welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by professional MMA fighter, UFC fighter, and owner of Base Training Center in Brisbane, Damien Brown. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good stuff. So you've had a complete career between martial arts and your, your business. But before we get into the good stuff, a um, question I always like to ask up front. What's been your go-to marketing strategy, That the uh, thing that you guys do that bring in, that generate the most students for you on a consistent basis? Consistently or that one thing that just, that's that's the hook? uh well typically the greatest marketing strategy
0: we had was facebook ads you know social media is so big now if you're not using it then you're sort of you're either behind the times or you're just um, too stubborn to do it um potentially you don't know what you're doing so outsource it um I'm, i'm a massive believer in um outsourcing anything that's not your line of expertise so i just think that um
1: everyone should be advertising on social media. Yeah, cool. So now for you guys, is that when you do the ads, do you have specific offers that you run, like mini courses or like challenges or just a straight sort of free trial, paid trial that works best? We sort of market um,
0: like training camp type situations and people typically don't want to, you know, they don't want to commit to longer, especially in martial arts because most people have – reasonable amount of anxiety with just starting so the idea of doing it for 12 months is terrifying so um any kind of short-term um commitment enough to to sort of help a person understand that they need to be accountable um but also not long enough that it creates fear of being locked into something that's terrifying i guess so you've got to find a balance between that um you know, the thing with martial arts, particularly jiu-jitsu uh, in our case, is that it takes you about three months to learn how to swim, um, and that's without any knowledge. So, you just got to to learn, like, what's even going on. Like, most people, position-wise, don't know what's going on. Concept-wise, don't know what's going on. Forget techniques. It takes you about 12 weeks to get your head around anything. Um, so, I think that's a good time frame to get people to commit to, but... Even sometimes that can be too long. So um, I think from a business point of view, no locking contracts are ridiculous um, for adults. But from a martial arts point of view, 12-month contracts um, sometimes can, can be a big um, hump in the road to get over. So yeah, somewhere in the middle there is pretty good. And we advertise it like training camps. I
1: love that. Training camps. You guys focus mostly on jiu-jitsu. I wanna, I wanna, I'll zoom back into a bit of the marketing chat and so forth, but give us a bit of a rundown. Um, I, I've got a bit of an idea of your story of sort of where you started, but if you can give us sort of a roundup, where did it all begin and how did you get into the martial arts space?
0: Well, martial arts for me was a non-negotiable from my dad when I was six, I think. Um, I could play any sport I wanted as long as I did martial arts. So I played football. Or rugby league, and did karate, um, particularly Zenderkai back then. Um, Did that for about seven years. Early teens, uh, we moved to somewhere where there was none. Uh, So, football it was for a few years there. Joined the army when I was twenty-one, and um, I just I need to, you know, I needed something to sort of get my head straight and um, get back into fitness after some surgery in the military. And um, so martial arts, I just turned to it again and um, I've been doing it ever since. So in in my early 20s, um, started kickboxing again and then went from kickboxing to jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu to MMA um, in a short period of time. And basically that led me to 13 years later and uh, two gyms.
1: Very cool. If you can go a bit deeper, if we go back to just – you went from training then you started the, the mma career what pushed you to go to that level was that and that that was that was after the military right
0: no no, no. it was during the military time actually during the military i just i didn't really know <laughs>
1: um
0: <laughs> well you know when i did martial arts as a kid I was, I was very competitive i competed every month in um you know most people would know them they're national all styles tournaments that they um they were around a long time ago i don't know if they're still gone but National All Styles was just basically like a karate tournament, and they ran everywhere. Um, and Our school used to hire a minibus, our karate school used to hire a minibus, and we would drive at 3 a.m., we'd drive down to Melbourne from Albury, and compete all day, and then drive back. It was like the longest day ever, You know, at three o'clock in the morning as a seven or eight-year-old standing in the street waiting for the bus to pick us up, and then We'd get home sometimes like midnight on a Sunday night. And that was just – that was my childhood. And I was super competitive. I played football. Like everything was competition for me, winning and losing. There was no such thing as, you know, anticipating um, and being rewarded reward for it. It was if, – if you didn't win, you didn't win. That was just – I just had that in me. So when I turned back to martial arts for some, you know, fitness-based stuff, and sort of just to, to get my life a bit more sorted. Then it only took about, I don't know, 10 months or something of kickboxing, you know, and then like I started to feel like I wanted to have a fight. And then I had one fight and one, and then I had another fight and one, and then the coach at the time, uh, Ian Bone, talked to me doing jiu-jitsu, and and then I was like, all right, I want to have an MMA fight. So we had an MMA fight. Um, I lost that. And then decided that um, I would never be submitted again, which actually turns out was bullshit. But <laughs> I, uh, cause I did get submitted multiple times again. But, um, at the time in my head, being an infantry soldier, I was, I was like 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And, I uh, I got humiliated, so to speak, or, you know, my pride was dinted. So I started doing jiu jitsu, um, six days a week, got right into it. Um, come back went six and I was a pro um, and then yeah I just you know I made a lot of bad choices I guess contract wise and fight wise um, nothing that hurt me but just you know probably probably could have taken a better path in my career
1: Could you give an example
0: yeah just uh, you know taking contracts in Europe where you fly yourself and stuff like that as opposed to you know typically a fighter that fights outside of their hometown you know they they get their flights accommodation paid for sometimes you get a bit of food money and you get paid um and then you know there's promotions across the world that'll give you opportunities but you have to fly yourself and stuff like that so you know i did did that sort of stuff i took a flight on two weeks notice in macau on legend fc just because it was i really wanted to fight internationally and rather than seeing the big picture and just kind of hanging around for a bit and taking my time i I rushed into an overseas fight. I got injured inside of that two weeks and I still fought. You know, so fighting fighting injured, I mean like real bad injuries, you know, like MCL tears and stuff like fighting through that kind of stuff. I think when you're when you're an up-and-comer and you're not already at the top, I think, I don't think it's necessary. I think you can take your time. And So yeah, I feel like there's just some mistakes I made along the way that I, I could have had a much easier path but I definitely wouldn't change my path. You know, I've got a lot of lessons that i get to pass on to my my members and stuff now so yeah it's pretty good
1: that's awesome so so you coaching your students going through that journey what are the (laughs) guidelines that you that you put in place for them what do you advise them on how to go about their path
0: i wouldn't so much say i advise them about how to go on their path more like they just do what i tell them they do like uh, you know like I, I used to manage myself and and stuff. Like, I get all my own fights and stuff like that. Whereas my guys fight who I put in front of them, and if I tell them they're not fighting, then they're not fighting. And so um, it's more just making sure that I don't leave them to their own devices and allow them to make the mistakes that I made because they're not experienced. And instead, I just uh, I make sure that I'm there for them, that I'm guiding their career, and that I'm helping them, you know, become. Better, better athletes or better martial artists in between fights. Um, so I think, I think more for me um, is just making sure that I am in charge, um, so they don't
1: they don't make those inexperienced mistakes. Cool. You got into the fighting. How did how did the UFC and all that come about? How did you progress further into your career? I just
0: sort of started out six and I was a pro and it wasn't until I sort of was like five and I or six and oh that I was like, oh, I could probably fight in the UFC one day. But back then it was it was difficult because, you know, when I was young, it was more like trying to get into the UFC. You had to kinda of go overseas and train in America and be accessible. You had to have a visa and so from that point of view it was difficult for me. Um because I, I had a job and, and sort of like my values were that, you know, like I need to support my family and my wife worked full-time but I still felt like I needed to be there for my family. So being the guy in my family that didn't earn any money just didn't sit well with me. So, you know, I always had a full-time job. But I didn't really think that quitting everything to move overseas was the right thing to do, especially in a sport that's so young where you don't make enough money or fighting to – support your family like, I don't know, maybe like maybe one year you make 100 grand, 150 grand with the bonuses or something and the next year you'll make like 10. And so it just seems like a really, you know, unstable sort of way of supporting your family. So I never really looked at fighting as a income or a job but more a a side gig um, which potentially is my issue. you know, may maybe I could have went further quicker, who knows? But I don't regret it. You know, I I bought a house while I was fighting. I you know, I did everything that, you know, a normal everyday person should strive to do. Um and I just committed a little bit extra of my time instead of watching T V at night I was at the gym and um instead of going out on the on the piss on the weekend, I was at the gym. Um or I was asleep because I was too tired to go out anyway, uh, so that you know I just did it as extra on top of, on top of my job, and that's just the, you know the part of me. But getting into USC once it became part of my mind and something that I thought was possible, then I didn't give up
1: until um, I made it. So you made made the right choices, and I mean you could have burnt all the bridges, right? Burnt all the bridges and just gone all in, but you know, you decided to have, have the balance and it's, it's obviously worked out really great for you. How, how did the schools then come about? How did you transition from all the focus on the fighting to, to opening the schools? Well, let's talk school number one. <laughs> I always wanted to be in business. Uh, my dad's in business
0: and other people in my family are in business and, you know, I sort of thought that it, would be, it, it was something in my future it was going into business and I just didn't really have sort of like, Anything to do? I mean, like if you drive a truck, you go into business. You typically buy trucks, and you know, I was I was a baker. I was going to go into business when I was twenty-one, and I pulled the pin on it. Joined the army. You can't go into business with the army, right? So it's, it's sort of like what what can you do? Well, it got to the end of my well, not the end of my fight career because I, I kept fighting, but it got to the end of my UFC tenure, and they um released me, and I sort of thought to myself. Spoke to my wife and said like, now's my opportunity to either use what I've just done for the last nine or 10 years and teach it to the next generation and help people not make the same mistakes. Or I could throw it all out the window and work in my job at the jail for the next 32 years until I retire and just go from job to job maybe or stay there until I'm a bit of old depressed prison guard and and then try to retire happily, but probably not because I've got issues. So it's like, I just thought, you know, I had two choices at that time and, and it was the perfect time in my life for me to go into business and to do something that I was not just qualified to do, but truly passionate about, which is teach martial arts. So, um, that, that was how it came about. I just, I just didn't want to do it while I was in the USC, but it had been on my mind, um, mainly because I didn't want to be tied down to coaching when coaching in the hours that I normally would train. So, um, yeah, I just, I just sort of come to a crossroads and, uh, pulled the, pulled the trigger and that's how we opened the first one. Um, and then we went from the first one in two years, we opened the second one, which was just moving the first one, um, to a building that was two and a half times the size. Uh, and we put massage and physio and everything in it. Um, and yeah, we just we just sort of got about three years in and um, you know I, I never really envisioned franchising or anything like that. I sort of thought it might be nice to have three or four schools, but everything needed to make sense and, and I'm kind of I'm definitely a person that goes off my gut feel, and my gut feel was telling me that it made sense to open another one. Um, where we opened it wasn't where we were going to open it. Um, we were going to go somewhere else, probably still will go there one day so I won't let that cut out of the bag. Um, but just due to, you know, property options and, and whatnot in a, in a pretty heavy market where like there was only sort of 5% of buildings that were available so trying to get something just seemed very difficult. So we, um, we opted for, for North Lakes um, and my business partner up there, um so the second gym set up on on a like a 50-50s type share situation um and uh and the manage- and there's a the management wage and that's just sort of how we set it up and it um it just made a lot of sense uh, I had the right person at the right time um in the right location and we pulled the trigger on it so yeah it's um it's really good I like it it's uh it's taken off Everything's working
1: well. So, but just give us a quick break, uh, breakdown on the time frame. So one to 500 students, two locations, and that's over, you said three years. Um, four, four, four years. Cool. How quickly did you grow the first one? And where's the, where's the first one at student bonds? Uh, we grew really slowly. Um, okay. So
0: before we ever advertised anywhere, everything was organic um and we grew to 100 members in a year and then we finally made a profit one month and i took that profit and i spent it on advertising and then we we just sort of kept growing from there so yeah um and now we've got a we've got a few hundred members now in one location so it's pretty good
1: yeah cool i mean congrats from all the school owners i talked to i mean in four years to go to two locations and. 500 odd students, that's that's remarkable. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: it's definitely been an incredible experience. I mean, I, I think what's missing in a lot of martial arts schools is typically martial arts for, for most people is like a second home. And I, I think, actually, it's funny. Uh, I had a conversation this morning with someone about commercialization and trying to avoid... Commercializing martial arts to make sure that we maintain the you know original values and, and purpose of it, which is you know, self-defense, respect, discipline, confidence, self-esteem, mental health, um, positive mental health, and all, all of those sort of values, you want to maintain those. And but most of all, like everyone gets into some kind of martial arts for you know self-defense and confidence, you know. So um, I feel like there's a balance between commercializing that and maintaining it and martial arts gyms are typically a home away from home. Um, And if you commercialize it too much, you lose that home away from home feel because everything becomes about money and not about, it becomes about money and not so much about the martial arts and like the friendships and the relationships and, and stuff that are built there. So. I just feel like um, we've been very fortunate that my values fall in line with I'm teaching something that I love, but, you know, it's more about how many people I can help and, you know, how people feel when they walk through the door and how they feel when they walk out of it as opposed to how much money they paid me that week um, or whether they're going to pay me for gradings and stuff. like. We don't charge for gradings. And so I I don't focus a lot on the money. I focus more on, on what I can give people. And I feel like that has made a huge difference for us. Um, you know, we're not just a gym. We, we've we never just been a gym. That's not what it's been about. And you can read all the reviews and people feel like we're more than a gym. That's where it's at. That's where retention's built. That's where, you know, new members are built. They walk through, they can feel the vibe. That's, that's where everything comes from.
1: Um, and so I feel like that's been huge for us. How do you feel you started like creating that within the culture? Cause I mean, obviously there's, I mean, it starts out as you, right. But as the student base grows, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it is about, you know, you might, people might be attracted to you and your experience and so forth, but it becomes about the school, the vibe, the culture. How do you replicate that?
0: It's like a tree, you know, like I was the seed and, uh, and as it grows, there's branches, right? And without the bottom branches, the next ones don't grow. So it's sort of like, you know, there's, mem- there's it's like, say like, uh, I don't know what the average is, but I'll probably give out, you know, it's pr- there's probably like 10 people that started in my gym that will get black belts. You know I mean? Out of the first 100. It's like pro- probably less than that, right? Probably like two out of the first 100 that will get black belts because that's how many will stay. But those two that stay, they form, you know, the foundation and then they pass it on to the next two, out of the next hundred that stay and all of a sudden you know it's not just about me creating it it's about like I got I got senior guys in this gym that that when I say senior like they've been here since the start their kids are here their 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 wives train here they train here you know and it's it's about like on a Saturday one will bring a carton of beer in and it's like give one beer to everyone and it's, it's sort of like that's just who we are, you know. Do, do you want one? Do you want to hang out? Let's hang out after training and and talk for half an hour, and then everyone goes their their separate way. But no one has to go to the pub that night because everyone's sort of just you know this is we we are our own family, and so that goes starts at me. Not that I'm promoting drinking or anything, but you know, it's just an example like that. That's what one person could do. The other one it would be like, oh, you know, we haven't gone and done this for a while. We we should organise that, or. You know, people said to me the other week, it was like, we haven't had a barbecue for a while. Yep, you know know what? You're right, we haven't. It's been a few months, so let's have a barbecue. So it just starts with me and then it's others that recognize what I used to do and then we pass that on. And, and, um, you know, I challenge my members at times to, um, you know, this week, uh, my challenge to you is to say hello to a person that you haven't spoken to or that you haven't seen, or someone that you haven't talked to in the last three months, um, walk up to them, say day, ask them how they're going, and that's going to change the day because you might be the guy on the other side of the room that they've seen for three months but never talked to. And that that happens when there's like hundreds of members. Like it's, anyone that thinks, you know, a, a gym with 50 members in it is the same with a gym with 300 members in it or 500 members in it is kidding themselves. So it's just about you know, when it's 50 members, it's me asking 50 people how they're going. When it's 100, it's me and 10 other people asking 100 people how they're going. If it was 1,000, you know, I'd think that there's 50 members in that 1,000 that would have been with me long enough to go and ask the other 950 how they're going. Um, and there's just a continuous flow from there. So I feel like um, as long as I started it with my values and my thoughts and, and, and you know, what what was – close to me, which is given more than you take, then I'll attract people that do the same thing. And and by doing that, it continuously
1: gets passed along and that's how we maintain the culture. That's amazing. Do you do different things, different on the map with that as well, like within your classes and your teaching to, to really emphasize on that, to put focus on building the culture?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think any gym does really. Sometimes I'll grab all the uh, all the color belts and tell them they're going to roll with a white belt tonight. Um, sometimes I'll uh, I'll say go with someone you haven't been with for three months. Sometimes I'll I'll get them in groups of three and make sure there's a white belt with every group. Um, you know, and there's all different ways that you can sort of make people feel included. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, inclusivity is is kind of what everything's built on like if if people feel excluded then they'll go somewhere else so there's strategies that we put in place on the mat to make sure that those people who you know always go to one end of the mat is what happens with us they will form up and then they go to one end of the mat it's like all the white belts are down here and all the color belts are here so you know I'll, i'll i'll look around and um you know sometimes we'll have 10 females in the room and typically Females in the gym um, have a lot of anxiety about rolling with men and stuff like that, particularly in jiu jitsu rather than karate, you know, where there's a lot of contact um, and jiu jitsu really invades your personal space. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll I'll particularly partner them up with people in the gym that I I think are reasonably chill or super experienced and get them flowing because it's good for their confidence. And then when their skill set matches their confidence, then they can hold their own, and they'll roll with whoever they want. So um, there's all different sorts of strategies as a as a coach. Um, I think I think one of the biggest assets you can have a, as a coach is being able to read your room. You've got to understand who's who, where they're at, what they're scared of. Are they a threat? Can they can they potentially hurt someone because they're dangerous with you know with their skill set as in inexperienced with their skill set, but believe they're better than they are. Like there's all sorts of things you've got to be able to do um, to manage an environment like that. Um, and, you know, my, my biggest job is trying to get, trying to teach my coaches how to read the room. Uh, I feel like I could do it reasonably well, but I've done a lot of instructing and, you know, military and stuff like that. And, and typically you've got to, you've got to always be able to read people. And I've worked in jobs where I've got to read people in sort of confrontational type situations as well. And so I feel like I've, and and I'm probably hyper alert. Okay. So like my, it's probably like the good thing my deployment did for me. I'm very hyper alert, hypersensitive. So I'm always looking around, you know, like everything's going on. Um, and so one of the biggest things for me is, is probably trying to teach my coaches, um, uh, how to read the room and, and stuff like that. Um, most of us start out in a gym knowing the technique we're delivering. And that's what gets us a coaching gig, but coaching is more than that, and um, everything comes over time. So yeah, probably, probably trying to, you know, teach them is is a big thing at the moment, and then get them to put strategies in place to be able to manage the the room as well. So yeah, it's um, it's definitely there's
1: a lot to it. That's for sure. Yeah, I I, I love the the focus on the awareness and how you're in tune with who's got what fears Reading a room break up the groups as they segregate into different parts do you feel that that's i mean transferring your martial arts skills that's one thing but then transferring skills of that you picked up potentially in the military and you've got a different level of awareness of picking things up you find that really hard to transfer to your coaches i think
0: the hardest thing to transfer to other people Um, or to teach other people is instincts. So anything that becomes common sense and instinctual is the hardest thing to pass on. So anything that's educational, like there's ways to read a room, so to speak, or there's, there's like, you know, strategies, educational type stuff to, to read a room. And then there's just, you know, you, you you can just see people and start to feel that people are, you know, if you feel that someone's a problem or someone, you know, can go from zero to three thousand really quickly. Like there's no strategy to to sort of pick that up. You just gotta be aware of your surroundings and be aware of who's on the mat and, and whatnot. But there's there's you can teach them how to put things in place to make sure that those people are controlled, but you can't teach them how to identify those people. That's just something they've got to they've got to have time in in a coaching role to be able to do. The more time they run classes, the more they're in charge of classes, the more they'll pick up on certain people. Um, But as far as the management of members and strategies for how to run a class, you can always
1: teach them that stuff. And that's pretty easy. Damien, great. I've got two more questions for you. You mentioned that your dad really enforced your martial arts journey. How have you adapted that with your kids? Is, is martial arts a non-negotiable and is there a point, if it is, would, it, would there be a point for you maybe back off or for... Uh, that's an interesting question because it's... Pawns of a
0: dilemma for me. So martial arts is a non-negotiable for my son, but it's not forced um, because this is my life and I want him to love it. So... He has to do jiu-jitsu no matter what, but I don't force him to do it three, four, five times a week. We ask him if he wants to do it. Every day there's a class hold. And uh, if he says no, we take him home and make him do his homework. Um, And if he says yes, we take him in and uh, he does class. Um, He had his first ski when he was 22 months old and he used to just roll with me for a couple of years. And then he... Asked to start classes, so we put him in classes. And then he went through a phase where he didn't want to do it, so we took him out. Um, And, you know, I think my dad didn't have to force me, but forced my sister. But he didn't have to force me because I loved it anyway. But um, it was a non-negotiable at the start. Like, this is what you're doing. So um, I feel like the discipline, the respect, and everything that I got from doing martial arts, um, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it was. But when people ask me how we teach them that, I feel like particularly this day and age, kids get the discipline, respect and all that from listening to someone that's not their parent. Teachers have no power. So anyone else in their life that's teaching them anything have no power. You know what I mean? You put your kids in martial arts, you let them on the mat, You walk away, you sit upstairs, you sit outside, whatever it is, and you let that person teach your kids for the next 30 minutes in an environment where you basically sign off on allowing them to put them in lines, put them in ranks, um, you know, and, and pull them up for talking over people, pull them up for, you know, poking their friend on the mat or tripping a kid over. Like that sort of stuff needs to be chipped, and there's just no one in this world that has any power to do it anymore. Um, But even when we did, uh, martial arts is just such a great teacher um, of all of those things because martial arts coaches typically don't just let kids get away with tripping kids over or talking over them. So, um, you know, physical punishments, whatever it is you decide to do, as in push-ups, bear crawls around the mat, squats, something like that, it's all just more exercise and burning your kids out. But at the same time, they they get that discipline and respect from that. Um, So by doing something fun to them, they're learning how to be respectful at the same time. and um, Then they get better and with with getting better comes confidence and high self-esteem and stuff like that. So um, I think that just martial arts all around is amazing for kids. And so my son has to do it, fully non-negotiable, but... I can't force it because it's my life and I don't want him to grow up and hate it. So um, I've definitely had multiple conversations with myself on what the best approach is. Um, and I just think just letting him do it when he wants to do it. Uh, if he hasn't done it for a while, we make him do it. So if he has one a week off or, you know, he gets like a week and a half in and he hasn't done a class, we just say, hey, mate, you haven't done a class for two weeks. If you go in tonight and you do class, you can stay for 20 minutes and play with your mates afterwards, and they come upstairs and play. And uh, he gets to play with his mates. He's an only child, so he loves playing with other kids. Um, and so he gets to play with his mates and does jiu-jitsu, and he's good at it. You know, he's done a comp already. Um, got a couple of medals, so we just don't force it. But he asked me a bunch of questions today, funny enough, on the way to school about jiu-jitsu and what he's gotta do to get to the next belt and stuff like that. So he you know, he's starting to get interested in it. It's just taking time, you know, and he's not as good as some other kids at his age, despite the fact that his dad's a black belt. And that's just because, you know, I feel like there's a fine balance a fine line in balancing and forcing it onto your own child when it is your life. I
1: don't want my son to hate coming to the gym with me. Yeah, yeah, the longevity of it. Yeah, I um I took I took that well for myself, I probably forced my son into <laughs> Zenokai from five to seven, um, and then Muay Thai. And then to the point that he probably said, "Boy, well, turn turned around and said, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's been a few years, but he's now 16, 17. He's talking about Muay Thai again. So I'm confident it's going to loop loop back. My, my daughter, I forced into Jiu-Jitsu. And then we moved to the Sunshine Coast and uh, I took her to a place and she just she fell in the arms, and she said, Nah, and I was like, okay, it's time I, I back off just a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a funny one, you know, and, and there's a lesson taught to me by by my mate Ian was that our job as a coach is to make sure that kids between the age of whatever you start in your school, so for us it's four to thirteen. Um, the fourteen year olds do our adults classes. But my job is to make sure that any child between the age of four and 13 loves jiu-jitsu until they turn 16, okay? So if I'm too hard on them and they hate it and they don't like it, they leave. My job is to make sure that I teach them jiu-jitsu, but I make sure they have enough fun that they want to stay in jiu-jitsu until they're 16. When they're 16, they get great as an adult. They start learning as an adult. It's a little bit different. They get to make their own choices. But if I can make them enjoy it, that much that they stay from the age of four till 16, then I've now got a long-term member. I've got a kid that's done jiu-jitsu for 12 years that's now going to get a blue belt and go on to be a great adult addition to my gym. So, you know, we we focus on that. We want the kids to have fun. We want them to learn jiu-jitsu, but we're not out here, you know, breaking their balls and making sure they do comps and being like, you must be the best at jiu-jitsu, you know? Kid, that's not that's not why we're teaching kids Jitsu. That's not why we're teaching kids martial arts. We're teaching kids martial arts so they can they can benefit from everything that martial arts offers. And to do that they need to enjoy it long enough to do it. So that's what we
1: focus on. That's so good. Damien, thanks so much for your time. I just one more question. What's next for you? Where are you headed with your, your journey in the martial arts and base training center?
0: I don't know, man. I don't know. Day by day. <laughs> I didn't start my first gym with a plan of opening something bigger. I didn't start my second gym with a plan of, it's like my second location with a plan of opening a second gym. I just, I just, uh, I didn't start fighting so I could make it to the UOC. I just, I just do something and then see where it takes me. And, um, you know, we've got two now. Maybe we'd have three. Maybe we'll do base jiu jitsu. Maybe we'll do, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's next, really, to be honest with you. I just focus on the two I got, focus on the members I have and make sure that they enjoy martial arts. And um, to be honest, I think every every business in the country is probably feeling the pinch of the interest rates right now. So, you know, my job right now is to make sure the members we have stay and make sure that they enjoy the environment that we provide and the and the martial arts we provide and then go from there. See if we can see if we can ride
1: it out. Cool. Well I'll loop back into uh, your journey in a couple of down the line, and and we'll see where where things are at. Sure, man. that will be good. Thanks, Damien. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you or uh, get in touch with you, how would they? How would they do that? Your socials, etc. People can reach out to me on all social media at
0: beatdown one um, five five. But particularly if you want to train martial arts you're in North Brisbane area, so Brendale or North Lakes. And surrounds, you can reach out to us at Base Training Center um, on Instagram or Facebook uh, or check out our website, bass We offer a free class for everyone to try it out. Make sure we're the fit for you and, um, yeah. Love it. Cool. Thanks so much, Damien. No worries, Speak man. Thanks soon. for that. Cheers. Appreciate it. See you.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in. Did you enjoy the show? Did you get some value from it? If so, please, please do us a favor and share it with someone you care about. Share it with another martial arts school owner or a instructor friend that might benefit from this episode. And I'd love to hear from you. If you got some good value out of it and you just want to reach out, uh, send me a message on Instagram. My handle is George Foree, G-E-O-R-G-E, last name F-O-U-R-I-E. And just send me a message. And I'd, I'd love to hear from you if you got some value from this. And last but not least, if you need some help growing your martial arts school, need help with attracting the right students or increasing your signups or retaining more members, then get in touch with us. Uh, Go to our website, martialartsmedia.com forward slash scale. And we've got a short little questionnaire that just asks a few questions about your business to give us an idea of what it is that you have going on. And then typically from that, we jump on a quick 10, 15 minute call just to work out if or how we can be of help. Not a sales call. It's really a fit and discovery call for us to to get an idea if we can be of help. And that's that. would love to hear from you and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a A gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group, and in there I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow, and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So it's called the martial arts media community and an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name group. so martialartsmedia.group g-r-o-u-p uh, there's no dot com or anything group. that will take you straight there uh, request to join and i will accept your invitation thanks i'll speak to you on the next episode cheers
0: will conclude this evening's entertainment thanks for listening
1: if you need help building your martial arts school check out martialartsmedia.com